Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Uh, those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 20, Luke chapter 10. So, uh, recently Netflix <clears throat> released a documentary. I don't know about, about you, but I was excited. I've been waiting for this for a long time. Uh, it, it's called Untold, uh, The Girlfriend That Didn't Exist. And uh, it's, it's about the story of the Notre Dame All-American linebacker, Manti Teo, who, and we've talked about it several times here, but if, if you remember, he was uh, really one of the first high-profile catfishing stories that we'd even heard of. This is, that's the first time some of us even heard of somebody being catfished. Manti was uh, catfished into believing that he had this girlfriend who apparently died, and he dedicated his last season to her at Notre Dame, um, and he did so well, and it was such a you know, huge fanfare that that story and his, I mean, rarely does a defensive player make it on the Heisman list, right? Uh, but kind of part of this, his story, and he played pretty well, got him to be a Heisman finalist. And so right before the Heisman ceremony, he found out that she wasn't dead, that she was alive all this time. And so, so many questions came up, uh, like, like, One's like, dude, how, how could this happen? How could you not know your girlfriend well, well, died and then was still alive? How, how have you never met this girl? And of course, he went from a, a hero to a zero almost overnight. You know? I mean, he was like a for sure first round pick. And then this hoax that came out, I mean, he was doing good even to be on an NFL team after that. Well, this documentary, Untold, it explores all the lesser known. Uh, or forgotten facets of the story to help us get a bigger picture of what actually happened, to help us better understand how this could have happened. Okay, well this morning, in many, many ways, Luke is also telling us an otherwise untold story. Because Luke is the only gospel writer that recorded this particular occasion. Like all other gospel accounts all focus in on Jesus sending out the twelve. You know, Jesus sending out the disciples, the twelve apostles, uh, but here we find that during Jesus' ministry, there was more ministry than that going on, apparently. That Jesus not only sent the twelve, but there was also a time in which Jesus sent out a much larger group. Our, our passage says the 72. You, you'll see a, a footnote there in some of your translations. Um, some of the earliest manuscripts that we have say 70. Some say 72. So there's a bit of debate over which one. Most people say 70 is probably the accurate one because it's an homage back to uh, Genesis 10 and the table of the nations. And uh, it was 70 nations. And so this is saying this is, this is Jesus' way of being, hey, we're now going to the nations. No longer is it just Jews, but we're going to everybody. Um, so anyway, a, a group 70 or 72 uh, by the way, which none of their names have been remembered. A group of followers who shared the hope and salvation of Jesus who died and were forgotten. And so in many ways, this is the untold story of you know, the part of the story that's often lesser, it's, it's lesser known or just altogether forgotten 
of how the gospel will spread and how the early church came to be. So unless we get this, then there's an entire side of what it means to follow Christ that we're, we're missing. And since that's the case, it's, well, it's important that we dive into God's word and we learn from this otherwise untold event. So this is God's word. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Be very urgent about this. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is before you. Heal the sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to my feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we've just sang, remind us that we come now to your word that does not fail. Uh, Lord, may we all sit under it humbly uh, and by grace stand on the promises, by faith walk as you walk with us. We ask this in Christ. Amen. You know, if Jesus only sent out the 12, it'd be tempting to think that ministry, that, that serving in Jesus' name, was really only for the professional Christians, right? Only for people called to be pastors or missionaries. And yet this passage tells us that these weren't all, all apostles, that, that some of these people, they were just regular old people following Jesus. Because as we've said many times, if you have been saved by Jesus, then you have been sent by Jesus, right? Like in him, we have a bigger purpose than just living for ourselves, living our best life now. It really is as simple as, as Charles Spurgeon said, 
Sorry, I'm, I'm going to take this off a little hot. Um, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, right? Uh, that, those are the options. You are either a missionary or an imposter. And since that's the case, Jesus says there are some things every Christian in this room needs to know about the mission. So what do we need to know? Well, Jesus says, first, the mission that we're on as Christians is dangerous. It's, it's dangerous. You know, following the Jesus way, oh, it can be a lot of fun. It can be very joyful. It, it's good, but it will not be safe. You know, we, we aren't promised an easy life here. Now, now you may not skydive. Goodness knows I'm not. You may not skydive. You may not bull ride. You may not fight in the UFC. But if you follow Jesus, like, you're doing something that is more perilous than all of that. Jesus said, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And remember the context. This whole chapter, chapter 10, takes place in Samaria, which means... Jesus took them to the most hostile place they knew. Samaritans hated them, and they hated the Samaritans. And Jesus asked them to minister to people who aren't like them. You know, other than the minor prophets, there may not be a better place than Luke 10 to teach us what it means to follow Jesus in a hostile world, right? Um, it, it's not just keep your head down and try to get through life without being noticed. No, Jesus sends you out into that world and look, the last time I checked, wolves eat lambs, which means Jesus is sending us into the midst of our predators, to the very people who would have us in his name, you know, to the very people who would seek to destroy everything that we're about, who stand totally opposed to what we're about as Christians. And you know, for a while, it was almost cool to be a Christian in the Deep South. Um, you know, you could still probably to this day go to some towns and join a church, and it kind of helps your you know, professional status in the community. You know, for a while we got to be lambs dancing with other lambs, and it was great fun. And as America becomes more post-Christian, you know, you hear many people pine for those golden years of the church, you know, when, when we were, when it was cool and when we were a little more powerful. And, and yet, we can forget that for the vast majority of the history of the church, it was not cool to be a Christian. <laughs> like the vast majority of, the, of church history, you were not powerful. No, Christians have always been lambs sent out amongst the wolves. And by God's grace, this is what makes the reality that the church is even here a, a miracle. That Jesus used the weak, the nobodies, to turn the world absolutely upside down. Y'all, you know, growing up around Tuscaloosa, it was lonely being an Auburn fan, right? Surrounded by all that crimson. And um, what's well, even more lonely being a lamb in the midst of wolves, isn't it? To be a lamb surrounded by wolves, it, it's, it's lonely. You know, being a teenager who is seeking to follow Christ in a world that is not trying to, to follow Christ. It's lonely, you know, trying to be a businessman, a businesswoman. It's lonely trying to, like, follow Jesus at your profession, surrounded by everybody else who doesn't seem like they are. It's lonely. It's lonely living for Jesus in a world that largely lives for themselves. It's hard going out every day and getting snapped at and wounded and bloodied. And that's why Jesus said, contrary to that green, well, you know what Green Day saying. Um, we don't walk this road alone. 
Like Jesus sent them out, not by themselves as lone warriors, but he sent them out two by two because he knew more than we do that we need each other. That in, the, in this life, we need brothers and sisters who have our backs. We need people who get in the trenches with us. And when we're tempted to give up and when we're tempted to be discouraged or fearful, they can remind you, remind us of the beauty of Jesus. You know, remind us that we're not alone in following the Jesus way. And I mean, I tell you, I don't think, I, I know I couldn't be a pastor without Annie. Um, I don't know if I could do it without the brotherhood of, of Josh and some of our elders and some of our officers here at the church, you know. So, like, who's in the foxhole with you as you go out in life? Um, you know, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous mission. And so God calls us to do this together and then to pray for others to join us as we go out, to pray for laborers. So it's dangerous. Second, Jesus reminds us that our mission is it's really simple. It, it's just... It's a simple mission, and it's, it's so easy to overcomplicate this, but, but Jesus called the, the 72 to teach a very simple message. Verse 9, this is what you tell them. The kingdom of God has come near to you, which was short for the truest desire of your heart. I'm talking like cut through all the mess. The truest desire of your heart has come. It's what's at the bottom of all of your deepest pain and shame and fear. In your life, it's that question, am I okay with God? God, are, are, are we okay? Um, can I not only be saved, but can I, can I actually know that you love me? And the message, the answer is yes. It's, it's in Jesus, you can have all of that. In Jesus, you are no longer a slave to your shame, to your sin. But in Jesus, you are a child of the King and a citizen of his kingdom. It's to be born again, to have a whole new way of life. And it's a life not under condemnation, but a life under grace. And so it's okay that you don't feel worthy. I, I, that's, he's worthy. And his worthiness, in that worthiness, you find yours. And so it's simple. You, know, you don't have to you know, preach this theological treatise to people with all these fancy church words. As has been said, it is just... You are a beggar going to other beggars, pointing them to where the bread is. It's, up, it's over there. This is the way. Very simple. Andrew Peterson is a, an author. He's an author and songwriter um, who was raised in the church. In fact, his, his dad was his preacher all that time. And, and you know what they say about preacher kids, right? Um, what they don't tell you is that elders' kids can be even worse. They don't, they don't tell you that, right? But, um, Andrew Peterson grew up in church going, he, he would go Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights. He had sat through hundreds if not thousands of, of sermons and Bible studies and prayer meetings, and yet he graduated high school still not a believer. Um, he didn't go to college. He joined a rock band and he toured the nation. For all he knew, he was leaving the church for good. But a few years later, one of his friends was asked to sing a song at a church, and that friend knew that Andrew was a musician and he needed some help, and so he asked Andrew to come play piano as he sang the song. And I don't know if it was reluctantly, but Andrew said, sure, he was going to help his friend. And so one night, the week of, Andrew, you know, he got the music. He said, I need to practice this song if I'm going to be playing it. So he went and started practicing through the song, which was a song written by Rich Mullins, 
And Andrew said that night, after playing through it and thinking through the lyrics, Jesus saved him. (laughs) It's like all those things he heard as a child and growing up, it's like everything clicked into place. And like, like Jesus saved him through a simple song, and Andrew's like, it's all true. Simple. J.C. Ryle writing during a time in which church pulpits were really, they became, became oratory theater. It was, you know, the, the performance of, you know, fine language. Ryle said, look, we don't need to be anxious about fencing and proving and demonstrating and reasoning. He said, not one soul in a hundred was ever brought to Christ like that. He said, just give them the simple gospel. It's this, it's repent of your sin and turn to the one who is greater than your sin. But Jesus, Jesus knows that even though it's simple to hard hearts, that simple message can be extremely offensive. It's extremely offensive to learn that God's way is different than your way. In which case, Jesus gives an earth-shattering warning. He says to, to the towns or to the ones who refuse to repent, he says, verse 12, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for you. Which we need to lean into that just a little bit because talk about offensive, especially to what we might call kind of God and country nominal Bible Belt Christians. You know, it's those who might say something like, look, the only thing God hates more than the sin of Sodom is the Democrats, right? But here, please hear this. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Remember, God hates sin, period. And there's actually something worse than what happened in Sodom. That there is something worse than than what happened in Sodom. It's called the sin of prideful self-righteousness. A sin that is particularly present in most churches. And so the call is to repent and be saved. Not by anything that you've done better than anyone else, but by the grace of God. Well, if that doesn't happen, if that repentance doesn't doesn't come, Jesus says as one last parting reminder that they are outside of the kingdom of God as a sign to them, shake the dust. So not only is it, it's just a simple message, but Jesus calls it to be dispensed in a very simple way. You know, unlike some televangelists, we don't need a private jet, designer clothes, or a fleet of Cadillacs to share the gospel. I mean, somehow God works in spite of all that, right? Um, Jesus says, actually, you need very, very little. He's making a point by, look, don't carry all this. You, you don't need all this, all this stuff. And outside, really, of the public gathering of the church, you don't even need a pulpit to preach the gospel. Jesus says the mission often happens organically, re- even around the table, uh, which is why we have dinners for eight, right? You know, the most encouraging gospel conversation I've had in the last several months didn't even happen at church. Uh, But it happened around a table where a few of us got to share some of our our doubts and our fears, uh, our hopes, and and we were able to remind each other of the gospel. I mean, that's it. Simple message, simple means. But then Jesus reminds us third, and briefly here, of the honor of the mission. What an honor. You know, Jesus gives us the privilege of being called his ambassadors, that as we walk through life on this mission, we function as the hand of the king, so to speak. He says, look at verse, verse 16. He says, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. Look, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. 
And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And here, just a quick aside here as it relates just to pastors. You know, throughout the history of the church, I know we know this, throughout the history of the church, there have really been kind of two extremes in which people have viewed ministers. Um, one is uh, ministers have been viewed with this kind of superstitious, idolatrous reverence and elevation. Uh, and then on the other hand, people have seen pastors really with contempt. It's like, what, what do they know? Idiots, Right. Both are off base, and this is the same for any who, walk in, in, who are walking this mission. Scripture says that if a minister doesn't faithfully deliver the message of Christ, then there is no reason to give him any reverence at all. I don't even keep him around. But a minister who is faithful in pointing to Jesus, and I'm not saying that you revere them, but honor them, because they are not building their own platform, and they're not building their own brand. They are on the king's business, okay? They are ambassadors of the king, and so are you as you, as you go on mission. Which then ties into the fourth and final thing Jesus teaches us about mission. Jesus calls us to go on mission, to live this life with uh, joyful humility. Uh, joyful humility. In verse 17, this great reunion happens, the 72 or 70 return, and, and they're pumped, and rightfully so. I mean, they're celebrating about all these huge success stories that they have and, and enjoy. They say, Lord, even the demons, like, even the greatest evil was subject to us. We, 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 we were killing it. Jesus' people were healed. People were responding to the gospel. Jesus, the movement is rolling. Let's go, right? And, and evidently, some were starting to get a little, little puffed up. Because Jesus looked at them and, and lovingly warned them against pride in this very sobering way. Which, by the way, I was like, what a flex. Right? Jesus says, oh, by the way, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, obviously, all Christians want to see, you know, like, we want to see Satan's kingdom topple, right? We, we want to see, see the redemption of the darkness and we, you know, we, read, I'm sorry, we read Revelation about Satan being thrown into the lake of fire, and we just hope that one day we get to stand there and celebrate the, the ultimate defeat of evil. I mean, that's what we, we long for. But it's so tempting, even as we're redeeming the darkness and doing good things and we're spreading the message, to be, start to kind of be puffed up with religious pride, Right? President Woodrow Wilson to this. You know, President Woodrow Wilson was the son of a Presbyterian minister, which means he kind of got up close and personal access to other ministers. And of the gifted preacher, Henry Van Dyke, he said, Henry Van Dyke is the only man I know who can strut sitting down. Right? He's a preacher. <laughs> and then as if that's not enough, y'all know this, we live in an age, a social media age, defined by virtue signaling, right? defined by low-key bragging. We, we really do live in a culture surrounded, or was surrounded by a culture that feels the need to let every little thing that they do be known. And y'all have probably seen these popular social media posts, and I love them. They're usually from people who are older than the millennial generation. But it says something like, you know, in, in 1970, I got a picture with Elvis. Um, we didn't have Facebook then, but I just thought you should know, right? Just thought you'd like to know. 
And I love it because it's kind of our older generation's way of kind of trolling the younger generation of like, hey, by the way, did you see this taco I just ate? Yeah. Um, our social medias can easily become carefully curated temples to our pride. Right? Look at us. Look at me. Look at my family. As J.C. Ryle said, few people are like Samson who can kill a lion without telling others of it. Um, you know, recently we had, at least for our church, uh, and y'all saw this, I mean, a pretty a big group of new members who joined Westminster. And our elder emeritus reminded me of this, um, that uh, he said, don't start counting them. If y'all start growing, don't start counting them. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Raul said there are few Christians who can carry a full cup with a steady hand. Success can be a very real danger. This happens all the time, right? Success is a very real danger, and it can even be a very real danger to Christians because we start thinking that our success kind of defines us, and that's where we get our worth. But Jesus calls us to humility. Remember, remember, humility. And then he reminds us, of, of, okay, you want to celebrate? Here's something you need to celebrate, true joy. He said we, we need something more than our successes to rejoice in. Because if we rejoice in our successes, then what happens when we fail? Is that also our identity then? So then the argument goes, well, what about our gifts and our talents? What about our abilities? Should we take joy in that? And to that, Jesus says something very interesting that unfortunately has been, uh, shall we say, misapplied by some extreme branches of Christianity, uh, namely snake handlers. Um, and, and this is literally, like you, you, you look up all their doctrine, like, like this is one of their founding verses right here. This is it right here. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Okay, just so that we're all clear. Uh, Jesus is not talking about literal snakes. That's not what he's talking about, okay? Um, any, any research into the ancient Near Eastern culture will tell you that in the ancient Near East, snakes and scorpions were used as a metaphor, right? They were used as a metaphor for the evil and darkness of the world. So what Jesus is saying is, look, I am gifting my people. Like I, I am empowering you with the ability to fight back the darkness and to tread on evil as my ambassadors. That's what he's saying. In my name, you have been given that gift. But then he says, even then, even though you can tread over evil, that's not where true joy can be found. Don't, don't be celebrating that. And y'all, I mean, think about it. Judas Iscariot was extremely gifted. He, he had this too. He had this gift. He had all these successes, but he'd not been saved by grace. So Jesus reminds us, it's a reality check, that grace trumps gifts every day. You can be the most gifted teacher. You can be the most talented physician, the sharpest accountant. You can be the most innovative farmer, the most inspiring coach. And yet, without grace, you are still dead in your sins. And so, yeah, of course, we probably need to celebrate more. Of course, celebrate your successes, give thanks for your gifts, but just know that those things, like those things can't hold a candle to the infinite joy and privilege of being called a son, a beloved daughter of the king. And so Jesus is saying, you want something to celebrate? You want something to be joyous about? Jesus says, rejoice in the fact that you, like messed up you, messed up me, 
are forgiven and loved in Jesus. That there's absolutely nothing else in the universe greater than knowing that in Jesus, you have God's face. That, that in Jesus, you have his smile. Not only does that keep you grounded, but Jesus says that's where the joy's at. And so Westminster will end as Jesus ended. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Lord, for those of you, or for those who may be here that don't know your love, um, don't know joy, um, that are despondent, apathetic, just don't care, uh, prone to rejoice in every single thing but you. Um, Lord, for those in our congregation that feel the need to share and share and share everything that they've ever done so that maybe people will like them and come in and Lord, just show us how vain, show us the vapor of all that. And Lord, show us where true joy and true identity and true worth is found. Lord, for those that don't know the love, who don't know the smile, your favor on them in Jesus, would you tear through the walls of their heart like a Sherman tank? Would you wreck them so that then you can redeem them? And Lord, for everyone else, we ask that you would continue capturing us for Jesus. Um, show us, call us, save us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.